History isn't black and white, yet too often it's presented as such. Grey History, the French Revolution is a long-form history podcast dedicated to exploring the ambiguities and nuances of the past. From a revolution of hope and liberty to the infamous reign of terror, you can't understand the modern world without understanding the French Revolution. So search for the French Revolution today. You know the feeling, that warm tingle in your heart, that unconscious smile when you see or think of them. A person appears in your life, captures your attention, and for the next few days, weeks, or even years, that one person has an inescapable hold on your affection. You've met someone you like, you're captured by love. Ancient Egyptian scribes were skilled in the poetry of love. We have dozens of surviving texts from different periods, giving us a glimpse at the language, imagery, and emotions they used in their quest to capture the essence of romance in writing. Whether these poems were written for private consumption, for public recital, or even for singing, they give us a sense of the joys and artistry which went into ancient Egyptian love. Today, I'm sharing three love poems which were written down around 1400 BCE, maybe a bit earlier. They come from a large fragmented papyrus called the Great Papyrus Harris. This document, created somewhere in the mid-18th dynasty, is among the greatest treasure troves of the Egyptian literary arts. These poems are the centerpiece. The three poems in this collection are written in both female and male perspectives. In another mini-episode coming soon, we will explore several that are written exclusively from a female perspective. I'm currently waiting on an actress friend to bring these voices to life, and then we'll be ready. For now, you get my dulcet tones serenading your beautiful face. The first poem comes from a woman's perspective, speaking of her affection for her lover, or her desire. The language is suggestive, and as we'll see, she explores the emotions in a beautiful way. Quote, Love of you is mixed deep in my vitals, like water stirred into flour for bread, like aphrodisiac in a sweet-tasting drug, like pastry and honey mixed to perfection. Oh, hurry to look at your love, be like horses charging in battle, like a gardener up with the sun, burning to watch his prize lotus open. High heaven causes a girl's love longing. It is like being too far from the light, far from the hearth of familiar arms. It is like this, being so entangled in you. End quote. Love fills the writer like sweet honey or a drug. Is this romantic love or sexual? That's kind of down to interpretation. You could take it either way, and I'm not sure you'd be wrong. 
The other metaphors and similes, horses charging into battle, a gardener looking at his prize lotus, suggest that perhaps this poem is meant to be a duet. A woman opens, telling of her love, and then a man replies, encouraging her to hurry to him. Then the woman finishes again on the third verse. If this is the case, it's a lovely image, a pair of singers, perhaps a husband and wife team, singing to one another for the joy of the crowd. Perhaps they were the ancient Egyptian duet of the day, the equivalent of Sonny and Cher, Johnny and June, Beyonce and Jay-Z. The final verse has some lovely feelings. Longing is like being too far from the light, and arms are a familiar hearth. Like that end-of-the-day satisfaction when your beloved wraps you in their arms for a long moment, or the slight dimming of your inner spark when your beloved must be away from you for a long time. Love burns for good and bad. The poem captures this nicely. In our second poem, a male scribe explores his desire and longing for a woman. Apparently he has been with her before, and now reflects on his feelings. But she is not here, and he must yearn to return to that embrace, while also reflecting on the absurdity of his situation. Quote, Astray or captured, all bear witness to the consummate skill of this lady, shrewd at her craft and perfected by heaven. Her hand has the feel of a new-blown lotus, her breast the delicate scent of ripe berries, her arms entwine like vines and tangle, and her face is a snare of fine-grained wood. And I? Who am I in this recital? I'm the proverbial goose, and my love it is that lures me. Tricked by her tasty bait, I come to this trap of my own imagining. End quote. The man feels caught like a bird on a wire. By desire or romance, he has become ensnared. Now, he can't get her out of his head. It is a familiar feeling, I'm sure. With a sense of irony, the last verse reflects on the man's foolishness in getting into the situation. He's been caught with a lure that he made, and his emotions effectively set the trap for himself. It's a relatable feeling when you're caught in those emotions, and you think, dang, You've done it this time. But anyway, the two poems that we've seen so far explore a love of some kind that is already in progress. They are mutual and possibly already consummated. Relationships which may not be formal, and we can probably spend a lot of time digging into how the Egyptians might have defined romantic relationships as a concept. Relationships which may not be formal, but which are impacting their respective participants. The poems explore the physical sensations of desire, honey churning in your vitals, the scent of ripe berries, the pull or lure of the attraction itself. They are, in many ways, poems of erotic love as much as romantic. The distinction between eroticism and romance is complex, way beyond my training as an Egyptologist and historian. But in the basic, simplified essence, you might view an erotic love as the love of passions, burning heats, thrumming desires, intense attraction. These don't necessarily need to be sexual, they just need to be immediate, vital, visceral in their effect. Romance, by contrast, might be more thoughtful, the love of appreciation, respect, and genuine interest. 
Now, of course, these loves are not mutually exclusive by a long shot. A couple will probably experience both throughout their connections, and sometimes at the same moment. These poems tread a fine line between eroticism and romance, or appreciative love. On the one hand, the writers speak of the physical sensations which pull them towards the beloved. On the other, they reflect on the simple appreciations of the one to whom they are attached. Whether it is the dimming of a light when the lover is not there, or vocal appreciation of a lady's skill, they have their elements which transcend simple, quote-unquote, erotic love. The final poem is a short one, a simple response to the fact that a lover is not around. The writer, a male, wants his beloved's attention, and he has a simple plan to get it. In this quick but charming poem, the scribe tells us his idea. Quote, I think I will go home and lie very still, feigning terminal illness. Then the neighbours will all troop over to stare. My lover, perhaps, will be among them. How she'll smile while the physicians snarl through their teeth. She knows perfectly well what ails me. End quote. Ah, the old pretend you're sick and let them come running trick. I'd try it myself, but my apartment has an intercom lock and I'm too lazy to get up. So I'll lie here, coughing, in the way of the very best lovers. Oscar Wilde would be proud. The scribe's plan is so simple it's silly, and yet you wonder why he doesn't just go and see his beloved. Which is worse, to play it cool or to be straight up with your intentions? It's a question as old as human relationships, and we still don't have universal agreement. Anyway, this short poem is a cute example of the writer exploring ideas which are kind of absurd. Like a romantic comedy, or a raunchy teenage comedy, the poem delves into a crazy little idea which maybe, in the world of fantasy or poetic reality, just might work. I hope it did, for his sake. Thank you for joining me for this little episode. Just a quick dip into some lovely poems which may stoke the heart or help us reflect on the feelings we share with our partners. Have you told your beloved recently how much you appreciate them? Or when they get home, have you jumped up off the couch and wrapped them in a big hug? The embrace of the lover is a refuge from the world. It is a refuge of intense spiritual comfort and intimate physical connection. In effect, a good hug is the perfect tool of love.
The corporate world is like the ocean. It's alluring, but it's also full of deadly creatures that can shred you to pieces. It becomes kind of like a Game of Thrones political arena where everyone's trying to murder you to get your job. My family doesn't come from corporate backgrounds, so I didn't have any sort of guidance in that. This is not your typical work podcast. Sometimes you need to be empathetic. And then there are times that you ask for input, but you don't really give a shit. <laughs> Listen to the Ambi Award-nominated podcast, Surfing Corporate. Stretch opportunity? What is this, yoga class? Get out of here. <laughs> 